It's time for another episode of the Infinite Loopback Podcast, an Apple-themed technology podcast with your hosts, Brian Baggett, Jim Graham, Brad Tarver, and Jason Young. Welcome back. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. What's up? <laughs> it's not February yet, so we're still allowed to say that. Like, literally today is, we're recording on January 31st, so tomorrow we probably couldn't say that, but today we still can. That is correct. And before we started recording, we were just talking a little bit about games. We said, wait, save it for the show. What is everybody playing these days? Well, I've been playing Marvel Snap since it was released out of beta. And I've been enamored with it. It is a collectible card game. If you've played Hearthstone or you're familiar with it, it's the same developer. He branched out on his own to do this one. They've done a phenomenal job with the Marvel license. And long story short, it is a collectible card game. You collect the cards, you build your deck. The really nice thing about it is that even a long game takes three minutes at most. Most of these games, you build a huge deck. Your deck is only 12 cards. And it does have some pay-to-play aspects and some pay-to-win aspects. But by and large, you cannot sink a penny into the game and still be very competitive and still have a blast and unlock cards the whole way. They just dropped a new patch today, and you can now play against friends as opposed to just randoms like before. With the Marvel property, they've got years upon years of cards and content they can release with this. So I'm hopeful it doesn't jump the shark and go huge pay-to-win at some point. But cannot give it a high enough recommend. And it's free. Go try it. It's free. I dabbled in Diablo on my iPad for probably two or three weeks a while back when it came out and I dropped that and I still play Pokemon Go a whole lot. My wife and I do all the events and things. We enjoy that and play together. And then the only other thing is I've gotten to where at night now, when I get in bed, if I don't want to read or do something, I've been playing Retro Bowl on on my iPad Air and uh, sort of a Tecmo Bowl clone sort of. With some uh, manage, like you're the GM slash coach of the team. There's some management aspects to it there as well. It's kind of mindless fun. You can pay a little bit and do a lot better quicker, or you can just build your team up over time. You could definitely play it for free, but there's a couple of buck unlocked to just do some simple things. It's probably worth that. And then as far as you can buy the tokens after that and like I said, do things faster, but it's a lot of fun. It's also a free to download and check it out. If you're a huge Tech Mobile fan like myself back in the 90s, then you're one of those kids who's now an older gentleman or lady. <laughs> Give the Retro Bowl a shout or a check out. Are you trying to say we're old, Jim? I'll say it. We're all old. We're old. We're <laughs> yeah, old we're old. Point. I'm on that boat. So, Brad, what have you been playing lately? So I just got a PS5 and I've been playing Gran Turismo 7 on it. I bought it on the physical disc because I got it like half off or something. And I'm playing The Last of Us 2. And then I'm not really playing anything of interest on the iPhone. I think I've been playing The Sims. I'm almost embarrassed to say that, but it's a guilty pleasure. Nothing wrong with that. Speaking of old games, I downloaded GoldenEye 64 when it got released on Game Pass last week. And that really took me back to 1997. I've been playing an embarrassing amount of that. And I forgot actually how difficult that game was in single player. About how much stealth and things that you needed to do in order just to not to get wiped out. So that's been a trip down memory lane. And I went ahead and got my nephew a three-month Game Pass subscription on the Xbox, which 
I think he has a Series S and he's, he doesn't have any storage. And his, his dad had bought him the uh, the one without the drive. So the so he's, he's limited to digital, but he's been using it on the PC and playing a lot of stuff. But we have been playing an older game, like a ridiculous amount lately. We've been playing Arc Evolution from, I think, like 2014 or 2015. And I had never even heard of this game. It's on Game Pass and it's... It, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like any other sort of, not really an RPG, but it's a, Josh, how would you describe it? You seem familiar with it. Kind of a Minecraft survival type deal. Like you say, it's not really an RPG. It's got more RPG elements than a Minecraft does, but just kind of survival, build your stuff up, but supposed to have a really beautiful world, a lot of exploring to do. Like you said, it still has an active community online, so they're doing something right. It's very interesting that you mentioned that because when I was describing it to my wife, that was how I described it, as if Minecraft were not just a blocky little game. It was actually, you're a couple of cavemen in this primitive world, and you have to go, and you do a lot of grinding where you're like collecting resources like wood and metal and things, and you're learning new skills of how to build things. You can tame dinosaurs. And it's not normally something I would do, but once I got into it, I was having to, my nephew was just running around. He's like 13 or 14. Let's go kill this thing. Let's do that. It's like, no, let's build up a war chest. Let's stockpile materials. And then we're going to go conquer everything. <laughs> so, uh, trying to get him to have a little more strategy with it, but it's one of those things where if I start playing something, I get immersed in it and then it's like four or five hours go by. And I try to avoid that because it's, even though I've got the time. It's just not good for me. And I know the other day we started at 2.30. Next thing I know, it was 6.30 or 7. And I'm like, oh man, this is too much. I got to do something else. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because there's actually one other game. Didn't think we we're going to talk about gaming. But while we're at it, there's a game that I got for my wife that came out called Disney Dreamlight Valley. And if you have anybody that enjoys Animal Crossing and The Sims and stuff like that, it's a game loft game. And it's in early access, so you have to pay. It's going to come free to play sometime this year. Um, but I looked at it and the early reviews were like, man, if you like Harvest Moon and Animal Crossing, this is right up your alley with the Disney properties. It was on Game Pass, so it's also something free to try. And got my wife to sit down on the Xbox. I said, just try it and see if you like it. 20 minutes in, I'm like, no, okay, I'm, give me your Switch. I'm buying it for you. And got her the super deluxe one. And she's put... 150, 160 hours into it so far. And I've been playing with her on my oh, Xbox. Wow. And uh, it's a, it's surprisingly well done. It really is. It's very beta. It still locks up and crashes a lot. But it's one, if you enjoy the Animal Crossing style games, definitely give it a look, especially once it goes free to play. The vast majority of the Disney properties are there. Again, with all the Disney properties they have to pull from, they've got years upon years of content. And the way they've stacked up the game each character, you get up to a level 10 friendship. They each have their own set of quests. They have their own realms to go into. It, there, there's going to be years of content you can sink into this. But the arc and the stuff, I understand what you're saying. I have a problem where it's I'm going to sink so much time into it. It's why I don't play Minecraft anymore. Because quite literally, I could get up at 10 a.m. And next thing I know, it's nighttime. And I've, all, I've not really accomplished anything. I've enjoyed myself, but I've not really accomplished anything. So it's... Those kind of forever survival games can get real dangerous sometimes. So now that we're past the holiday season, I know we all have some new tech. Josh, you had a really good suggestion about talking about things that uh, two pieces of tech that we're excited about at a minimum. So why don't you kick things off and tell us about your two pieces of tech you're really excited about? All right. Like you said, it was a minimum. So I really have three. And the first two are related. As I've talked about in the past, I really enjoy retro gaming, emulation gaming, the old stuff of that nature. 
And uh, my white whale for the longest time has been a portable system that can run everything. And by everything, I mean almost all the old stuff. There's been different deals. The Raspberry Pi, of course, came out and uh, I bought a couple. I've had a couple of different Raspberry Pi style kits that are handheld that look at, I think one was more of a Game Boy Advance. It fit in a Game Boy Advance shell. I had another one that was a little larger of a Game Boy shell. I had, oh, I had a, I bought an old Wii U, I even bought an old Wii U gamepad shell that I was going to hollow out and put batteries in and, and make my own version and never got around to that. So it's, I've always kind of looked at that. I've always been interested in it and also realized I enjoy making these systems a little more than I enjoy playing the older games, but that's a rant for another episode. There is a company called Analog that makes higher-end retro systems, and most of them are built around an FPGA. And it's a field programmable gate array, which is a fancy way of saying it is a programmable processor that, and I'm going to butcher this explanation, so please don't, don't write in, don't find me on my Twitter account or anything else. But in layman's terms, an FPGA, you can give it a set of instructions, a core, and it will 100% hardware emulate whatever processor you give it. And most of these FPGAs can be powerful enough to handle multiple processors at a time. Where that comes in really handy is, for instance, say, older NES games like Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Once you get to the end bosses, you get to Tyson himself, you literally have frames, just a few frames to react to things. And on the old NES, wired straight to the TV, wired straight to a controller, there was no latency. So the reaction times that you built up to it back then were fine. Even if you run it in a software emulator on your PC with a Bluetooth controller, you're introducing latency with everything. And so if you go back and you try to fight Tyson, you're going to have issues fighting him because, oh man, I've gotten older, I'm slower. That may be the case, but it's also the fact that there's lag built into it now. And you have a lot of folks that will go through and spend ridiculous amounts of money to get an old CRT up and going or whatnot. FPGA solves that problem. And with an FPGA, you can get these cores programmed for everything. And you get a 100% accurate, fully frame and sound accurate for everything. That's what I do, Josh. I blame the lag. I'm one of those guys. See, there you go. It's not an age thing. It's the lag. It's the lag in the emulator. So one of the things, a couple of the things that Analog's made in the past is they've made some... Once the patents ran out on the chips, they made NES, Super NES, and Genesis clones that took the old cartridge slots, and your old cartridges worked 100% accurate, and they had HDMI out and would upscale a little bit. They announced this thing called the Pocket, and they announced it in 2021, and they started taking pre-orders towards the end of 2021. It's a smaller device. It has about a a 3.5-inch screen. But that three and a half inch screen has a 615 PPI. So the result, it's just an insane quality screen on this. Built-in battery, USB charger, USB-C for charging purposes and whatnot. And it's got a slot in the back. It's a Game Boy Advance slot. So it can do Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance games. They're also selling adapters that you can do a Neo Geo Pocket Color games, the TurboGrafx-16 carts, Game Gear games. So all, basically all the old handhelds that'll run. And the other neat little thing about the Pocket is that it not only has an FPGA, but they're doing an open standard, and the device also has a micro SD card. They just released a few months ago the ability for people to have their own cores. There's another Raspberry Pi device called the Mister, which has got an FPGA that's had a real strong following online that people have been making cores for. The difference is that the Mister is much more powerful. It's a desktop system. 
and it's much more powerful for emulation for for core purposes again people get up it's it doesn't emulate them it's actual hardware it, it replaces the hardware and uh, i want to say the mister's gotten up to playstation 1 it may even be i think it can do the sega saturn the pocket's not that powerful it tops out around the super nintendo and the genesis but people have had cores ported to it already and there's a ton more coming out and it really is a fantastic device i pre-ordered one i got in uh, six six or seven minutes after the ordering opened which placed me in group b which means i did not get mine until a year later at the end of november 2022 but i did get my device finally it's it really has been a fantastic device the problem is as aforementioned i'm 45 i've been typing since i was five i've been playing video games since i was five and my eyes are not as great as they used to be i'm still waiting on those bifocal contacts to come in order two months ago and i'm scarily looking forward to those i shouldn't be but here we are and my hands cramp the game boy the game boy style it's the shape of the original game boy so it's the screen up top a candy bar shape and then the controllers are at the bottom it is a beautiful device but it just it hurts to play for a little while and the screen's just it's a three and a half inch screen. It's just tiny. I, I've decided at this point, I don't think I'm going to keep it. My brother wanted one. He didn't get in the pre-orders and they're still insanely back ordered at this point. So I told my brother when I got in the order that he said, man, tell me how you like it. And I told him, he said, yeah, I really enjoy that. And he said, I wish I'd get one. So if I don't, if I don't keep it, I'll let you first in line. He told me he wants it. So I still got to make the final decision that I am going to get rid of it. That sounds like a really interesting device. I, I really, I remember when that thing was coming out and I was looking at it and I just couldn't, I couldn't see a use case where I was going to go to that much effort, but you do make a good point about the CRT, the lag, even the controllers. When I've played my retro pie, one of the things that I've noticed is that if you try to use a modern controller, playing the Super Mario games, for example, doesn't feel the same unless you have that old 8-bit Nintendo controller right. because you could... You know, when he runs and you have to stop him, you have to slide him back just a little bit. And you can't really do that with a uh, joystick. And even the little analog directional pads don't, they don't quite have the same feel. And it makes the game much more difficult. And there's actually an article in Ars Technica the other day speaking about, uh, you know, the, the screen resolution and things like that. When you're playing Goldeneye, for example, on a modern system, I'm playing it on the Series X. And it's four by three and people, why can't we get widescreen on this? And even things like that, where if it's not the same, and I know if you have the Nintendo Switch online too, they can do that CRT emulation when you can make it look like a CRT while you're playing it so that it, it's, but yeah, it's, that is definitely a real thing. And if you play these things long enough, you feel like something is off and I just can't put my finger on it. And it's, it, it has to do with a lot of those things. If you're old enough to have played it on those original systems when they first came out. So it's the uncanny We're, valley of, in, of like emulation, right? It really is like, that is know, a good way like to put it. Not, it's like almost there. And it got so close that then it becomes annoying because you can really tell. I, I tried, I installed alt store to where I could play stuff on my iPad. And I tried some of the games on there and it was just frustrating. I, was trying to play Mario and yeah, you're right. It just doesn't feel right. And I was using an external controller, Bluetooth controller and yeah, it just it didn't feel right. So I played it for like two days and then dropped it. And now it's just sitting there and I have it. It's very high maintenance too. You got to update it and keep it updated on your computer to make sure it will reinstall itself. It's, it was a very convoluted process to get it going. So I had a Xbox 360 maybe 15 years ago or something. And I used to have a, one of those a rear projection TVs. I had a real big one. 
and it was like a 75 or something. And I would play, I loved Guitar Hero and Rock Band and I just could kill it just with perfect accuracy. And then at some point I took my Xbox over to somebody's house that had an LED TV or maybe an LCD TV, but it definitely wasn't rear projection. And I could not play Guitar Hero or Rock Band accurately for crap. I don't know if it's just because of the refresh and the way your eyes. That's crazy. Bit, or if it's has if it's anything similar to what Josh was talking about, but it's definitely a real effect anyway. If it, even if it's not a real thing, it feels real. No, it's very real. And there's a there's you don't want to say Digital Foundry is one of the places that does a ton of this stuff on performances and lag in the games and things you can do to handle all that. You talking about the CRT filters, Brian, one of the other really amazing things the Pocket does is when you're playing off of the Game Boy or Game Boy Advance cards, it has built-in filters that will make it look, even if you're doing the original Game Boy games, it will emulate the green screen on the OG Game Boy. That little olive green, whatever that we all remember from way back when. It, again, like I said, they're fine, but it is a smaller device. And uh, that kind of leads me into my second tech choice of last year is the Steam Deck. And uh, looking at it, looking at the specs, knowing that it was basically, and it's, for those of you that haven't seen it, it's designed a lot like a Nintendo Switch, but it is an actual honest-to-God PC that's powered by an AMD APU chip. And there, it's a Ryzen chip, it's an RDNA 3, that's, for everything that it does, it's insanely powerful especially for i think it starts at 429 or something like that for a 64 gig deal with the it's got an sd slot too that you can upgrade everything with but of course being from valve it's tied straight into the same store if you've got if you've already got a bunch of stuff on your pc if you've already got a game in pc all of your cloud saves everything just works right out of the box download it to the steam deck and it's amazing i can pick up a game i can start playing the witcher 3 on my or spider-man i've been picked up spider-man on pc and uh, the ray tracing on that was the, it was an, oh my God moment when I upgraded my video card, bought Spider-Man cause I knew it did the ray tracing and man, I just don't see it. And they went into that first scene with the cop lights shining everywhere. And it's like, oh my God, this looks amazing. 4K didn't do that to me. Ray tracing. It was like, okay, I'm all in regardless. I can pick up Spider-Man, play it on my gaming PC, play for a little bit and then decide I'm done with the main stories. I just want to goof around town and find some of the unlockables, save it. Cloud upload, go pick up the Steam Deck, let it cloud sync, launch it, and I can pick up right where I left off. And it's a 720p screen, so the graphics aren't great. It does have a, they call it a variable refresh rate, so you can lock it at 30, lock it at 60, or with the variable you can lock it at 40, which, due to math that I don't fully understand, 40 frames a second looks closer to 60 than it does 30, and there go... YouTube it, you'll find people that explain it a heck of a lot better than I ever could. But one of the really nice things, in addition to the Steam Deck, it runs, every Steam Deck, every Steam game I've thrown at it, it runs beautifully. This thing, it'll even run Forza Horizon 5 with high settings at a solid 30 frames a second, which again, for a handheld, is just amazing. The battery life's the only bad thing about it. The battery life on these AAA titles, you might get an hour and a half if you're lucky, which again, I've always got my... 26,000 milliamp anchor battery with me everywhere I go. So that's not a problem. Does USB-C. It's a 30 watt charger. So it charges pretty fast. The it's much, the screen's much bigger, much easier to see. 
the the hand it, it's the controls are much larger and uh, the nice thing is because it is a linux pc on the core emulation runs amazing on it it'll actually do full emulation ps2 it does great ps3 some games work beautifully some not so much it'll reportedly do original xbox and xbox 360 games i think saturn dreamcast ps1 everything else you throw at it doesn't break a sweat and most of those other games, most of the emulated stuff, you'll get six, seven, eight hours out of the battery. GameCube and Wii, not a problem. Wii U games, not a problem. It, people say they've also gotten Switch games emulated on it as well. I haven't messed with that because I have a Switch. 30 frames a second's a bit much to ask of it, but it will it, it will play those. It's probably if they get it tweet, you might get a decent 30 out of it. But they're... Steam's finally gotten pretty much all but caught up on their shipping. I think they've got a week or two week turnaround on the times now. And uh, they do them 400, 500, 600 as their tier for storage. The inside has got one of the 2230 M2 NVMEs that goes in at the little bitty short ones like you see in a Microsoft Surface. Companies are starting to make replacement drives for them. And of course, with it being Valve, Valve's even taken all the spare parts and put them on iFixit. You can go to iFixit's website and that's Valve's replacement part store. So you can go there and dang near everything Pretty motherboards cool. themselves. You could, they, they, a lot of people have had FanGate where they say, oh, the fan's real noisy. Luckily, knock on wood, I've not had that problem. But a lot of people have said, it's this particular type of fan that they had during this time. And Valve said, well, here, tell you the fan. And a lot of people get it, crack the case, put the fan in, and they're like, oh, this is so much better. But it, uh, you do any kind of portable gaming, can't, uh, the, the Steam Deck's great. Of course, with it being a PC, with it being an AMD all-in-one chip, there, there will be a Steam Deck 2 down the road. It, it is an LCD screen, not an OLED, um, which again, it's fine. I've never once looked at this screen and gone, man, I wish this was better. The other neat thing is that with it being a 720p screen, it can run these games a lot better. If it was a 1080p screen, it would have a lot more trouble pushing these games at 30 and 60 frames a second. But even Elden Ring, I've played Elden Ring on it, and it runs fine. Tweak the settings a little bit to lock it at 40 frames a second, but it's exceedingly playable. And plenty of people have gone start to finish on it with no issues with any of these games. So on the same note with the Steam Deck, I think I pre-ordered mine around the same time that Josh did. And he got his in the mail before I got mine. I was super jealous. And then when it finally came, it was... Of course, very easy to set up. You just put your Steam creds in it and you're ready to go. I've played a couple of AAA titles on it. I've played Elden Ring and what's that Firewatch game? That was always a lot of fun because I never finished it on the PC. So I finished it on the Steam Deck and I've been playing some of the Lego games on it. Marvel Marvel Lego. Anyway, it is a great little device. The only complaint I have about it, and it's the same one that Josh had in the battery life. Just because you've got a PC, essentially, or the power of a PC in your hand, and it probably lasts me between 60 and 75 minutes on a charge. And the reason it's a complaint, because since it's supposed to be handheld gaming, you don't want to be tethered to the wall. Otherwise, you would just plug your whatever into the TV, whatever your console was. And I guess that was my only thing about it, was the battery. Otherwise, I've been really happy with it. So will it charge itself fast enough? So Josh, you mentioned putting in a big battery on it. I've got an Anchor 26800 battery that I run my MacBook Air off it. Like it'll charge my MacBook Air just fine. Is the Steam Deck, does it, can you continue playing with that plugged into it? 
or does it drain faster than the charge goes? Like, it, do you have to plug it into a wall to get it to charge back up? Or can you get two hours out of it or three hours if you're sitting on the couch and you've got it plugged into an external battery or something like that? A lot of that depends on the game you're trying. If you're doing something that'll max it out, if you're doing if you're doing Force Horizon Five or Elden Ring or something like that, yeah, it'll it'll you'll keep the charge. It'll trickle charge its way back up a little bit. If you're doing a game that doesn't use as much of the wattage on it, absolutely, it'll charge while you're playing. Okay. And it's it does a you can. I've been in some taking on vacation and stuff. You'll, if you get down to four or five percent and you try to charge while you're playing, yeah, it's going to be a little. I don't know how well this is going to work. But yeah, as long as you're at like 15 or 20 percent and even within it, it does fine. I don't it's been a minute since I've done that. Most of the time, once I get it down into the five or 10 range, it's I'll just be like, well, that's fine. I need to get up and take a break anyway. So you could just carry around one of those car battery size anchor things and you're good. Absolutely. <laughs> strap it to your backpack. Just strap it to your back. It's a workout solar device. Solar panels. Doing, yeah, solar panels. Exactly. Just sit out there on the side of the cruise ship while you're playing it with you, and yeah, just do that. Boy, talk about Uber Nerd. You get stuff thrown at you. Speaking of Uber Nerd, I will throw this out there for the, that was just fantastic nerdness about it. So again, it's running all of these Windows titles, and these are Forza Horizon 5, Elden Ring. These are not Mac compatible. These are not Linux compatible. They are Windows-only games. Steam Deck doesn't run Windows, it runs Linux, and it runs these games beautifully. Valve has sunk a lot of time into Proton, which is what us old-timers remember as Wine, and it, it does, it works, like you said, Wine is not an emulator, It's and this is not, it basically, all right, you programmers are going to kill me on this one, but it basically does what it remaps the API calls from Windows into proper Linux API calls. Is that right? Am I in the right ballpark? I forget exactly how Wine and Proton work. I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea how wine works. It no, works. it's not an emulator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know that's what it stands for, but in, for all intents and purposes, it's magic. It's, it's literally magic because it's okay. You're a windows game running on Linux and it, I don't know how you're working, but I'm glad you do. And another neat little thing that it can do is you just, when you hit the power button, you can go switch to desktop and bam, there it's running arch Linux as a background. And there's a KDE desktop and you can go to their dolphin app store and just, install whatever you want on the fly and it's a that's what my son did he said shoot i'll just use this as a portable desktop i'll take it to school and just hook it up to the monitor in my classroom and just set it up there and use it and it works just fine like that if you want to run linux and see it's a year of the linux desktop it's finally here 2023 so josh you said the steam deck was 400 ish yeah how much was the first thing you talked about the action the little handheld analog pocket it's it's t I think it's around 250. The company Analog they they make a very good product. The problem is that their support they just don't like talking to people. They don't like responding to emails. They have no online presence. They'll tweet video. They'll they'll, they'll tweet stuff about how their games are running. But if you have any problems with the product, you basically get to wait weeks for a response. Well, and also their shipping charges have gotten absorbent. It's forty or fifty dollars shipping to get the product shipped at this point. Also. I don't know if this plays into it, but to be fair, they're selling something that basically emulates an old Nintendo or Sega or all those games, which are technically people aren't paying for it. It is a hacked machine that for you to be able to play all that stuff. And I, 
I don't know that anybody's pursuing, not going to pursue them over that, but still, you don't want a huge presence when you're you're basically selling something that somebody can play Super Mario Brothers on without ever having to pay for Super Mario Brothers. I don't know. I mean, it, that's a little bit. Like what Josh was saying was that the patents have expired on those technologies. So if you still have your old cartridges and you're buying this device, nobody's breaking any laws. It's not like you're pirating oh, so ROMs you and ROM trying to actually emulate them. No, I never said that. Okay. That's what I mean. That's what I was thinking. Wink, I was wink, thinking nudge, that, nudge. Yeah, you could use cartridges, but you could also use the ROMs. I kind of wondered why you walk into a GameStop and they still sell a ton of those old little tiny cartridges up in there. The big benefit for me on the pocket is that I have all the old Pokemon cartridges and it runs them all fantastically. And again, if you're, if you, even if you have the later games, if you want to literally catch them all, you've got to have the older cartridges to do it. You've got to get them on the games and go through Nintendo's convoluted setup to import them into the newer ones. And you have to catch them. But yeah, them there's all. a lot of them. I have caught them all, and I will continue to catch them all. I invested this much time into it. It's full-blown sunk cost fallacy, and I will continue it, by God. But it, I say all that with the analog just to say it is a very unique product. It's a niche product for a niche market. But I will, it's as good of a build quality as any device I've used in quite some time. It really is a beautifully built device. I just wish I had the young eyes and the young hands to be able to really enjoy it. Makes sense. What's cool about it, I just, and just this will be my last thing, is that it's cool for super cash type gamers and also for more technical type gamers like Josh who gets into the guts and wants to make it work this certain way and play this specific game, etc. Absolutely. So I guess it was two weeks ago or whatever, maybe I ordered two new of the 2022 Apple 4K TV, Apple TV 4Ks. And I had two of the 2021 models. Anyway, the new one has a 128 gig. I bought the Ethernet ones so that I could sink it into matter because I wanted to start playing with that. But I wanted my upstairs Apple TV is wired. So when I do a speed test on it, it's 900 by 900. <laughs> That's not the point. But anyway, <laughs> it's absolutely the point. Uh, and do not be ashamed about that. But I am going to go wired over wireless if I can. The device, as far as watching TV on it, it's pretty much the same as the previous gen if you're running 16.3 on either of them. They're pretty much the same. What's weird is that this one has a newer CPU in it, or the it has the A15, and the previous model had an A12. This newer one is shorter, and it's much lighter. It probably weighs half as much as the previous model, and I haven't dared crack one open and just see what the differences are but it the the 2021 model really is heavy it's like a yeah, brick in your perfect. hand and the other one weighs and the other one doesn't weigh hardly anything my one complaint about it is that i had bought this really cool little rubberized case or whatever to put my apple tv in and it had a little strap that so that you could hang the strap like over your tv mount without having to drill it into the wall or whatever. And it also had it built into the little case for it. It has five little magnets so that you could stick it to, say, the back of the TV or to your TV mount, or if you had a metal wall, but it doesn't fit that. The width and length of it is also smaller. So you put it in that little cool little $15 case I bought for it, and it falls out 
otherwise it's pretty much status quo as far as what it does for just plain old TV watching. The new one can do karaoke. Yes, it can. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. I totally forgot and about that. I got one as well. And one of the other differences is the remote's USB-C instead of lightning. So that's, I to me, that's convenient because just- Yeah, I, true. I know I have a lot of lightning cables still, but the more that I could move over to USB-C, the better. Just slowly moving all the things over. So yeah, we've enjoyed ours immensely. It'll only be great when they fully switch everything because some things don't. It's still a big hassle. I hate it. Either go all in or don't do it at all. One or the other because it's really getting annoying with the, oh crap, this one looks exactly like my other remote, but this one's the USB-C. I was going to ask if y'all done the karaoke on your Apple TV. Yeah, I have. I have. Poorly. Very, very poorly. I love to sing, but I'm a horrible singer. I'm an entertainer, not a singer. But uh, yeah, it works. It's not great, but it just as a, hey... I think we've talked about this a couple of times over the years that it seems like Apple only comes out with features in September when they release a new version of iOS. It's like you get it with 13, you get it with 12, you get it with like they don't make mail better in February. That's not something that they do. And so this was a, I don't remember I'm announcing this like it's coming soon sort of thing. It just happened to the music app for with a point release, which is very rare yeah. for Apple. We'll call them out for that. That was that's that's one of the things that I noticed that was a little bit weird with the uh, the 2022 was uh, there was a bug apparently where the remote would not stay bonded. And I thought, oh, that's weird. It hadn't happened to me. And then at some point during the 16.2 tvOS 16.2, it just stopped doing it. it. My remote would not stay paired to this thing. Fortunately, with a new TV that I just bought, it had it can control your external devices automatically. Like it learns, oh, that's a Roku, I can do that. Oh, it's an Apple TV, I can do that. So I used that until 16.3 came out and then it fixed the issue. But apparently it was a known bug. It was just weird. It wasn't there. And then one day it was. It wasn't. It was, it, it was just with it wasn't like it from the very beginning. version that it happened? Oh, interesting. Yeah, just with the 2022, which was which kind of annoying. I wasn't going to get it because I had everything built into the smart TV, but I had ordered it before I had gotten the smart TV. It's like, oh, I'll just, I, it was too late to cancel and I'll send it back. Once it was connected, I'm like, eh, I like this. This is my familiar interface. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep doing this. I just decided to keep it. But uh, yeah, I'm digging that one as well. <laughs> Jim. going to say, I had a 2021 new in the box that I had ordered and gotten in three days before Apple announced the 2022s. So thankfully, I just hadn't gotten around to setting up because the reason I ordered it is because I had a remote die. And so I basically wanted an extra remote and I was just going to basically do the hand-me-down thing and end up with a good remote in both places where I needed it. Luckily, I hadn't done anything with it yet. And so I was able to just send that one back to Amazon and get a full refund. And I ordered the 2022. So that worked. You do know that a spare remote's bought, yeah, right? Yeah, no, I that's what I bought a I bought the 21 model on a Black Friday like a $100 deal or something. So that's why I went ahead and did it cuz I was like I, that's worth it to get the extra remote and so yeah. And you've got a spare Apple TV in right. case one That's the idea. And plus I only had one 4K and then the other one was an HD, which really didn't matter cuz I'm using a projector upstairs anyway, but they were going to both be 4Ks. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with Apple TVs as I am with AirPods. I have several spares just floating around that are, I don't know how I ended up with extras, but here we are. Jim, what's the uh, the tech that you've been excited about? For Christmas slash, you know, end of year bonus season or whatever this year, I finally decided it was time to replace my aging Sony soundbar that it was 
amazing when I got it. And I'm guessing that was probably about five years ago. I think that was 2018-ish around when I got that, that Sony soundbar that does the sound formats and all the stuff. And, uh, but it, it just, it's had software problems today. I got it and the annoyances and it, they just show their ugly heads every now and then. And it finally just started happening more and more. So I finally was just like, all right, it's time to, uh, to upgrade. So I, I did some research and I decided it was finally time to go all in on the Sonos. So I looked into Sonos several years ago and Back then, they didn't play near as well into the Apple ecosystem as they do now. Now, they are completely integrated with AirPlay 2. Everything can use it. The smart assistant is still Amazon or Google on there because, you know, they can't license Siri or whatever. So it actually fits into my environment because for all the music stuff and everything that I do on Apple... It does Apple, and then it works with all the other Alexa devices that I have in the house. So it, it's just, it was perfect. So I bought the the high-end Arc soundbar with the big subwoofer and then two speakers. And so surround speakers are new to me. I didn't have that with the Sony. All I had was the soundbar and the sub. And so for the surrounds, instead of ordering the big package deal, I ordered the sub and the soundbar, and then they had the surrounds as refurbs that were marked a good bit down. So I bought those and my surrounds are, they don't have the, the advanced microphones for a digital assistant. So they sell kind of two different versions and they're cheaper if you buy it without the fancy microphones. And so the Arc soundbar already had the speakers for Amazon assistant. So I just was like, all right, that'll work. So I've, I got all that set up. It sounds amazing. It's it's actually a lot smaller than the than the Sony, which is a quite pretty big, imposing soundbar in in the living room. One thing I have run into is that my TV is also about five years old. I bought it at the same time as I got the Sony soundbar, and my so my Sony TV does not have eARC. It has ARC, which means that the way the Sonos is built, there's not a return channel HDMI on it. There's only one in and one out. For right now, I have it wired up to where it, it's fine. But what that means is I can't do the highest end audio. What's it called? The the 7.1, the, 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 or Atmos. the Atmos. So or the, the Atmos signal won't pass through now. And you can buy a device. There's this device. I'll have to find a link to it. That basically it will sit between your TV and the Sonos soundbar and basically convert your system to like, it's an eARC system. It's 250 bucks. I haven't took the bite on it yet because it sounds great already. And so I'm trying to decide if it's worth it to do that or just probably at the end of this year, like in another year, like into 23 going into 24, I'll probably get a new TV. So at that point, I'll get an eARC TV. And so I'm like, why spend $250 on a box right now that it would make it a little bit better for now, but it still sounds amazing. And so going all in on the Sonos, I, I had two HomePods that, uh, that I sold to Brian here. One of those I had bought from Josh. So one was mine, one was Josh's I bought it. So we just been passing home pods around just sloppy seconds all amongst the podcast guys here. And so I had two of them and I sold those to Brian and I bought a Sonos Move speaker, which is bigger than a home pod by a little bit. It is their big portable speaker 
And so it's got a kind of a ring dock that it sits in. And so in my office, it just sits in that dock and it's always plugged in and charging and fine and it plays. But I can basically just pick it up and bring it outside and it becomes a really big portable Bluetooth slash AirPlay speaker. And I used speakers out at the pool a lot here in the summer. So I'm really looking forward to using that. It sounds great in my room, my room, my office. And so I play stuff on it all day and it serves as my Amazon assistant here in my office as well. So I've got moving into this Sonos ecosystem and then maybe later in the year, I'll end up getting another move for upstairs or they have the Sonos 5, which is actually a little bit bigger than a move, but you keep it plugged in all the time for upstairs with the system up there. So I've really enjoyed the Sonos. It is pricey. There's no getting around it. But if you're buying high-end audio equipment, all of it is, there's a premium jump when you just go from, look, it's pretty good stuff that you can buy at Best Buy to high-end audio. There's just, there's a jump there. there, There's not a whole lot of middle range in the pricing. It's either like cheap and it sounds okay, like it's very serviceable, or it's really nice but it's also really expensive. So the whole living room setup ended up running me about two grand, maybe a little bit less because I bought the 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 refurbs on those surrounds. And, and I've still, I've got the surrounds sitting on something in the living room now. And I've got things to mount them on the wall, but I'm looking at different options because they are, they do have to be plugged in. They're wireless surrounds, but they do have to be plugged in. So I'm looking at different options there on what I want to do on those. So that was my, if I have three things, it's basically the two Sonos devices. And the third one is I I finally splurged on a nice Roomba vacuum. So I've had knockoffs in the past, like the UFI, I think it was UFI vacuum, and it was fine. And then two years ago, I bought like a low-end Roomba model. We have a, had a cat that shed quite a bit. And then we have another cat and then we have my dog. Neither one of them shed a whole lot, but my wife, evidently, just by looking at the Roomba, she sheds quite a bit. Might have to cut that. Wives tend to do that. (laughs) Mine does too. And so I finally splurged on a nicer Roomba. My old one was still working fine and I brought it upstairs and just put it in the bedroom and it runs on the carpet just fine up there and it keeps it clean. But the new one I bought is like a J7 Plus and by Plus... That means it's got the container that empties the vacuum when it's done with its cycle. And I cannot express how much nicer that is because with the old one, if you're if it's picking up a lot of leaves that blow in out of my backyard or cat hair or dog hair or wife hair or whatever it's picking up, you have to empty the little bitty container in that vacuum about every two to three days or it's it just packs it in. So it's it's a very high it's nice to have because if you have we have hardwood on the whole bottom floor of the house if you have that it keeps it so clean and so nice it just it's like basically having somebody sweep your house every morning it's just so nice but it you have to empty it a lot so with this one it's got the little thing where when it parks itself it sucks all the stuff out into what really looks like a traditional vacuum bag inside of that container And I started using the one that I have, that I bought in early December and I still haven't changed that vacuum bag and it's fine. So I've been a month with it because it, it pulls it in there and it, the way it sucks it out, it 
compacts it almost. It takes that hair and makes it into, instead of this big ball of with a lot of air in it, which fills up the container in the Roomba, when it sucks it out, it packs it in that bag. I've been super impressed with it. The other thing is the new one has collision avoidance, so it won't run over dog poop which is very nice. I mean, it will literally dodge anything that's in its way. In the app, you can go in and you can see the map that it like has made of your house. And it is amazingly accurate. I can look at this and every little nook and cranny, or if there's a chair here that it went around or just all the little, everything on the whole bottom floor of the house, it's got mapped out and it'll send you a little reminder that says, Hey, here are the spots where I think I should have been able to clean, but something was in the way this morning. You might want to go move it. That was the other thing with the old one is every night before I went to bed, I would do a sweep of downstairs to make sure I had all the dog toys up or shoes or, and that was probably good for like keeping the house clean, but it's still, you had to remember to do a sweep of downstairs to, to make sure there was something that just wouldn't get stuck on. It was more about getting stuck on something. And so this one is is great at the avoidance of all the stuff. The only thing is it, you have to have lights on for that to work because it does have a, the way the lasers and way the camera works to do stuff. It has to be lighted. So I actually set up a routine in this assistant that basically turns on all the first floor lights and then starts the vacuum every morning at like 6 a.m. And so it, it turns on the lights and then it runs everything. And, and that that's worked fine for that. It, it never pay if you go to the iRoomba website or not I, iRobot website for the Roomba, never pay like the prices that they show on there. I got, I almost bought it at Black Friday and I was like, no, it's still expensive. I waited till the second week of December and they marked it down like another 12 and a half percent over what the Black Friday price was. And I got like this $800 version for less than 500, 400 something. So the sales on these things are always good. Like you, you can find a good deal on one if you just hold out and you know what you're looking for. And basically the two things I wanted were the obstacle avoidance and the little trash bin. And so I was just watching the, all the models that had both of those. And then when one went on cheap enough, that's the one I got. And my wife gets me a lot of crap about it because I just, I love that little thing. Like I'll, it'll, I'll see it in the morning if I'm up early enough and it's doing something, I'll move something around and just watch as you can tell it learns, oh, you just moved something so I can go over here now and start a different pattern. It's just, it's a really smart device. And Jim starts talking yeah, to it. Yeah. Hey buddy. You're going to do on like Parks and Rec and put an iPod on it and call it DJ Roomba as it just goes around. Yeah, I could I, see I you doing it. I could totally do that. Yep. I could totally do that. You could put one of those move speakers on it. I probably could put the move speaker on it. And you, you know what I did try with my old one is a joke and sort of a, this would be amazing if it worked. I have turf in my backyard. And so I took the old one and let it roll around in the backyard, picking up leaves and if the container was about a hundred times bigger, it would be perfect, but you just can't pick enough leaves before it stops. But it rolled on the turf and was picking up leaves in my backyard. We just got to get to where the batteries and the tires can move something that's big enough. And we're going to have Roombas for our backyards for leaves, which that would be a glorious day. As somebody also has the same soundbar that Jim had, it is a great soundbar, but that software is the absolute 
worst. There's so many little glitches, but otherwise it was yeah. great audio. Does yours ever it. like just take an hour to shut down? It's just like shutting down, shutting. It just a little. It would just sit there and be like, "Yeah, I'm shutting down." And eventually will, but if I don't know what the hell it's doing, but it would just get stuck. It's seldom that it happens, but it does. And if I walk up and I hold the power button down on the unit physically, it'll turn off at that point. The thing that I had the most often is sometimes the subwoofer just wouldn't pair to the, just randomly, you know, this, it's not predictable. It's not frequent, but you turn it on. It's like, why does this sound weird? And you look down a little, the subwoofer is red instead of green. And you go over there and you just flip the power switch a couple of times and it's back on and it's paired. And it's like and a proprietary fine. connection. It's not like it, it's literally something that Sony built for them to talk to one another. Like you would think that it, would, it was built for to be dependable. I would still give them another chance and maybe get that 7.1 system they have that's also its successor. But it's weird because even after five years, the price of that soundbar never seemed to no, go down. You're it right. And the, even the model that replaces it is $1,500. And it really doesn't offer anything that that one doesn't. Like, I, I don't see a whole lot of difference in the in that model. Now, you're right. There is the new, like, 7.1 one with the pods that was all crazy. And I looked into that one, and I just, I wasn't sure about how I would mount that many speakers around our living room. So that was one of the reasons I didn't go with that one. But the YouTube reviews were really good on that one. And that's the other thing that I didn't mention about the Sonos. There's a whole bunch of YouTube videos you can go watch where people review all the different models and give you the pluses and minuses. And it's the home theater YouTube is strong. I'll have to check that out. Let's see. So I was saving myself for my tech for the last, the new M2 Pro Mac mini that came out. I did take the splurge and go ahead and do that. I'd used a 15 inch Intel iMac 27 inch for, uh, I don't know. I think I got it on my 40th birthday in 2015. So I had it for a long time, but it was getting a little bit old in the tooth and they've transferred over to the M1s. And I had an M1 iPad that I love that's really good. And I think in early 2021, I bought an M1 Mac mini, but I only bought the default configuration. I think it had eight gigs of RAM or something. It was just to play with. It wasn't supposed to be like my permanent computer. I ended up selling off the iMac because it was just taking up too much space. I got the studio display. So the M1 kind of became my primary computer and it's a fine computer. I think, I think I'm actually selling it to Jason as soon as I finished getting everything installed and transferred off of it, but it just didn't have enough memory for any of the things that I wanted to do beyond simple web browsing. It can handle just about anything, but it's just incredibly limited in that regard. If I want to do video editing or lots of audio editing at once, or it just wasn't cutting it as a serious computer. So I've been waiting for so long for these M2 Mac minis to come out. I really wanted that. And I know last August when the M2 MacBook Pros and the MacBook Airs came out, I thought, okay, they're certainly going to do it right at that time. And they didn't. And that was a real big disappointment. So this thing has been limping along the M1. I've been using it. But when they, as soon as they made the announcement on the M2s, I was like, I'm jumping on this, is, but I want something that had at least as much memory as my old Intel iMac, which was 32 gigs of RAM. And unless you're going with, uh, when it came to the M1 configurations, you would have to get one of the Maxes or the M1 Ultra Max or whatever, the studio, the Mac studio, to be able to get something like that. And I just, I didn't want to pony up that much, even though ultimately I ended up pretty much doing that when I got the M2 Pro Mac Mini. 
that's what I had to do. I bought the minimum configuration that I could get for 32 gigs of RAM and it still ended up being like $1,700 or something, which was very close to the M1 studio. I could have just spent a couple hundred more and they're very similar in performance from what I read, but it's, yeah, there's no way I'm buying an M1 at this point when I can get a, a couple more cores and a slightly better GPU. So I went ahead and took the splurge on that and I've been a little bit slow in setting it up. One of the things that I forget is such a frustration on a Mac when you're setting it up is particularly with the M1s is that you have to go in and disable the security policy when you first boot up for a lot of the software that we depend upon using audio hijack, or I forget some of the other software that I had. I wanted to install Mac fuse to be able to do other file systems. I wanted to install my Paragon NTFS. Certain VPNs. Certain VPNs. And it doesn't seem like, oh, what's the big deal? You go in, you boot, you change that security policy, but it has to rebuild the every time. So you're rebooting after just about every one of these apps. And it's like, oh my God, this is just as bad as windows now where uh, you're going to set this stuff up and it requires a restart before you can go ahead and do it. So that is a, that is a headache. And I put just enough to get the podcast stuff going for this week before I, I focused on doing a sort of a clean install and putting things back as I needed it. And I'm going to pay a lot more attention to the things that I allow to start up and try to tweak things so that I only start certain things when I need them. Even though I got the memory to do it, it's just, I think it's a better policy. I bought a couple of apps that I saw on Quinn Nelson's Snazzy Labs channel. I think Menuware, W-H-E-R-E, -E, was one of the things that he recommended that I splurged on, where you can do a right click on your desktop and whatever the active application running in the menu bar is, you can control through the, uh, through the app. So I can right click, let's say I have notes open. And if I'm anywhere else on the desktop and that was the last thing I was accessing, I can right click and do new note. It gives me the control of that. So that's me. With reference to the M1 mini that you got, that was very much a beta computer, right? That was like the people that were buying those were people who were going to start coding for Apple's Silicon at that point. It was the first, the first Apple Silicon computers. And so they had had that loaner program where people could get the M1s before that, but that's basically what it was. It was a... Which were basically the guts of an iPad, yeah. I believe. And people didn't know. When you bought that, people didn't know how good Apple Silicon was going to be. Nobody really knew. It was a, hey, how good is the emulation? How, how are all these things going to work? And so it was a very beta thing. So I remember when you did it, you're just like, basically, I'm just going to buy the minimum as something to play with. And then to Apple's credit, you've had it for two years now, right? And it's been two your main years. Computer. Yeah. Yep. So that's how good it ended up yep. being. So that's pretty impressive. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I was just going to remind you of what a beta that was because when I pulled mine out of the box, it just booted up and said, there's no OS installed. And if you didn't already have another Mac, you couldn't fix it. <laughs> Not only that, when I was hooking it up to my monitor, it did not like the HDMI and it would flake out. And I had, to, I bought about six different cables trying to track down that problem. Even with the, I think, okay, with the studio display, I didn't have that problem, but you needed an HDMI, I think it was 2.1 or something like that was capable of 8K, even though it wasn't doing 8K before it wouldn't flake out when you tried to plug it into. So yeah, there was a lot of things. Though, as I was, I just mentioned, I didn't have to install Rosetta for almost much of anything. I had one program that ended up needing Rosetta and it's not one that I use very often. So I was okay with that. So the, the, That's awesome. the porting of applications went fairly fast to the point that I think it was like three or four months old by the time that I bought it. So it came out like November of 2020. And I think I bought it in like February of 2021 or something. 
And even by that time, most of the stuff, the creative cloud apps that I use and other things had already been ported. It seemed I didn't have a bad experience with that whatsoever. And for the price, I think they dropped them a hundred dollars when they went from the M1 to the M2. So instead of being $699, the base model is $599 for the M2. And that's still a really good price. You only get eight gigs of RAM. I think you can get it up to 16 if you don't go 16 or 24 if you don't go pro, one or the other. And I know I think it's 24, maybe. Yeah, it's what it should be, I would think. But I know on the original M1s, you couldn't go higher than 16. So and I think some of those limits seem a little bit arbitrary to me, but what do I know? But I was like, I'm getting 32. Whatever I have to get 32, that's what I'm getting. And it just turned out to be the, uh, the M2 Pro. But I think it's going to last me for a very long time. It's a, It seems to be a very speedy computer based on the benchmarks. I'm recording right now on the M1 MacBook Air. And I've loved this thing. And I, I tried to justify to myself that I needed an M2 for something. But just And I think if the new Pros would have had, would have been the form factor of the new Airs, like that, that almost iPad looking form factor of the, that the Airs have now, if the Pros would have went completely to that, I'm, I might've gotten a 14, but when they didn't, I was just like, okay, I can wait a little bit longer. Cause I re also really wanted the black one and they only have the black on the Air versus the Pro. So I don't know. It, but yeah, I tried to make the justification, but I'm still rocking with the, uh, the M1 Air for now. And I'll throw another bit of love to the original M1 Mini. I'm recording on the base model M1, a refurbished base model M1 Mini right now, and that's my main work computer. The 8 gigs of RAM, it is a limitation. There, there's no two ways around it. That's my biggest hang-up. And I've got to reboot it about every couple of weeks. I'll double-check. Oh, yeah, I'm using 3 gigs of swap. It's time to restart. I run a 4 gig of RAM, Windows 11 ARM VM at all times. Excel, I've, even right now, I even try to shut it down before recording. I'm running about 15, 20 things in the background right now. And... It's a beast. It's still a beast. And I don't foresee me having to upgrade this for what I do at the office for quite, quite some time. But the again, like you said, the two, it, the two is a little more future proofed. And the fact that you can go up to 32 gigs of RAM with it, which, yeah, that that makes a huge difference. It really does. Some of the uh, the other tech that I got that I'm excited about, I know it's going to seem stupid, are I bought a ton of USB-A to USB-C adapters that are USB 3.0. Going back to what I just said, the transition to everything USB-C has been a really bumpy ride just because if you're going all in, especially on the Apple stuff, you get a lot of USB-C ports and Thunderbolt ports, but you don't get a lot of USB-A. And a lot of the accessories you still buy are going to be USB-A. So I have webcams and microphones and other things that are just plugging into these systems that are USB-A. And I only had I think on the M1 I only had two USB-A slots and on the M2 Pro I have two, but that would still be too few. However, on the studio display monitor, you have a number of USB-C and Thunderbolt ports on the back that were just sitting there unused. And I, I don't know why, what got into me, what made me just drag my feet on this for so long, but it's like, why am I not using this to its potential? I'm trying to use hubs. Hubs suck. Even the powered hubs suck. I hate having a hard drive, plugging it in, and it goes, I don't know what this is. I can't do anything with it. Even though it's powered, they're both powered and it won't do anything. Or even something as simple as a stupid stream deck. I plug it into a hub, a powered hub, and it's, nope, can't see it. Plug it directly into the USB-A. There you go. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to convert every single one of these USB-A things to USB-C and just be done with it. And then as, lo and behold, I can actually use the hub 
for something else if I ever actually need it. Now I actually have three ports to spare on the hub and still a few open on the M2. So that's a nice thing. I know it seems simple and stupid. I think they were like seven bucks a piece or something off Amazon, but it was just one of those things where I'm tired of being frustrated by this. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And whatever I'd got, I made sure it was at least, I think USB 3 was the highest that I could find, which is good enough. But if you have something like a drive that you're plugging in or you want to do something like that, you don't want the older USB 2 if you can possibly avoid it. So I didn't do that. Other technology that I was excited about was air purification. So I bought a couple of nice air purifiers. My only regret is I didn't buy any that were like smart assistant enabled type things, but that's not a big deal. I typically just tend to leave them running all the time. I don't care. I've got a dog and it's, it is what it is, but I've noticed that the quality of air in the master bedroom where you have carpet and you have the dog running around and just wasn't quite cutting it. So I went ahead and got one, but I accidentally bought two and didn't realize it. And I'm like, what is the second box? So the second one is sitting down here in my office and I'm going to be using it down here as well. So I'm going to have that, the two places that I spend the most time sleeping and or down here. It's an old man purchase, but it definitely helps a lot. I can definitely tell it's noticeable. I keep it by the bed. So I at least get the purified air while I'm trying to sleep, which is nice for me, even though I use a CPAP, I, I still want that uh, good clean air. And the last bit of tech that I bought that I'm excited about was a sous vide system, an entire sous vide system for Christmas. So I got the, the cooker, the little, what do you call it? The Anova sous vide thing. I bought the bins that go with it. See, I always thought it looked like the trolling motor, the little trolling motor you'd see on the old school fishing boats. It just kind of looked like one of yes, those. Yes, it does have that. It was the, yeah, that's a little more PG. We'll, we'll go with it, that. It reminds me of one of those like hand mixers that you would use. Yeah, the little yes. immersion mixers that you do down. Yeah, yeah, yeah immersion. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, we we got one of those. I got the Anova tubs that go with it. I got the ceiling system, the bags, all that good stuff. I haven't, I've been very busy the last few weeks, so I haven't been able to give it its proper christening yet, but I plan on doing that very shortly. Do a lot of cooking for my wife, a lot of steaks, a lot of chicken, those types of things. And I wanted a way to keep it so that it was... You couldn't overcook either of those. I do a lot of, I cook a lot of dark meat when I cook chicken, but if I do want to cook chicken breasts, I do want to be able to cook it and not have it dry out, which is a big problem with any kind of poultry, especially white meat, if you're trying to cook those things of drying out. So being able to use that should put an end to that. Having perfectly cooked steak down to the exact precise temperature will be a good thing. Not being able to overcook it, then take it off and give it a sear on a skillet. Very excited about that. And all the other purposes that go along with it that once I started reading, I didn't even know these things could do. You can use the ceiling stuff to pickle things. You can you can do all sorts of crazy stuff with this that I had no idea about. But I'm really looking forward to giving that a shot. I've got several cookbooks. Not that it's really difficult to be able to do this stuff. Just the added time that it takes is a bit of an annoyance. But that then again, for me, that's also a good thing because I can start it going, go do something else, and then come back hours later. And it'll be exactly the temperature that it needs to be, and it won't hurt anything. At, uh, yeah, there's a funny story that you say that when my, my wife found one as well on a sale, I forget where, and she got the trolling motor with the big tub and the lid to keep everything in and clips to put it in your Ziploc bags and whatnot. And uh, again, it does a phenomenal job. Steaks are just something else because you can do it right at the temperature you want to do it, get you a hot pan or the grill, sear it on the different sides, and it, it's perfectly done. So one night she gets a chicken recipe, does some lemon pepper chicken. Here's something I found out. You've all, I've always heard chicken 165, no matter what, 165 Fahrenheit. That's what you cook the chicken to. 
Turns out in sous vide, that's not quite the case. You can cook it at two hours at 140 and or 145 and it's perfectly safe. Everything's it's perfectly safe to eat. So we did it one night. It's weird because the chicken's raw. It has a bit of a raw texture to it. And it's a chicken breast when it's cooked all the way through. It's a different type of meat than when you're handling the chicken raw. And the chicken's still spongy. And it, Gordon Ramsay's going to come after yeah, exactly. you. Exactly. I'm not saying it's going to cross the road or anything, but I'm just saying it tastes. It tasted fine. It did have more flavor, but unlike a steak, where if you take a steak and you cook it down in the one, don't even get me quoting the temperatures. I keep them written down because I don't remember these things. I work smarter, not harder, people. And it, you can cook a steak raw and a medium or a medium rare steak tastes so much better than a well done. Chicken, that's not the case. Just cook it to 165. It may be different. You may cook it at the 140s and go, yeah, this is great. But yeah, that's weird. But the big thing. My my wife is really big on texture when it comes to that type of thing. And spongy chicken. She would (laughs) never. It could be. It could. No, there's no way I could ever. Just serve it up. Put the hidden camera in there and just see what happens. I'm I'm fine at 165 if, if the. Sealing it in doesn't let the moisture out, and it doesn't. It'll be fine, and it doesn't. It. The other thing is, like you said, sealing it in with the moisture, the, especially at those temperatures, moisture can't go anywhere, so it stays in there. Marinades, of course, it does great with those. But the good and the bad thing at the same time is just what you said. You do have to start earlier, but you also now don't have to be. This chicken's gonna it cooks in twenty minutes, so I've got to. I've got to keep a Hawkeye on Live 360 and see when she's 20 minutes away so I can start it and then pray to God she doesn't get into traffic. But you, a lot of that stuff's done. And it's it's a bit more of a hassle, but the quality is much better. That's the other thing, too, is that my wife's schedule's not predictable, so I want to be able to do exactly that, where I can just have it sitting there. Oh, she's here, and I don't have to watch. Oh, she's pulling in the driveway. Here's the seer. Here's the seer. Done. So at my old company, we did a cook-off every summer that we had a bunch of big smokers in the basement of the corporate office in St. Louis, and everybody would come in in town, and we had teams of eight to 12 people who were doing, you'd, we'd do brisket, chicken, and, and some sausage, and the company bought all the meat, and then everybody, the teams would cook their meat, and then it would, everybody ate it the next day, and they had judges come in. And the last year that we did it, a couple of years ago, before we, we got merged out, out of there, one of the teams did a sous vide brisket instead of using one of the smokers, just because they could. They're a bunch of young whatevers, and they were like, let's just try it. And it, it actually wasn't millennials wasn't at all. Yeah, I mean, it was surprisingly a pretty good piece of meat, but they did a brisket in, a, in the sous vide, big ice chest. They did it in a huge ice chest. And yeah, I tried a piece and it was good, tender. I was pretty surprised. I don't know if I've eaten anything that has been cooked like that other than that one time, but it was good. You may know this already, but that long cooking, that long process of the fats and stuff and the meat just gives way to more tenderness in the meat than it would say even if you were smoking something or cooking it in the crock pot for eight hours the crock pot can't do those more granular temperatures and at lower temperatures the crock pot doesn't go as low as like 102 degrees so that i'm only using the crock pot example because it's a long cooking device yeah, I tried a uh, Instant Pot brisket one time and it did not go as well as I would have hoped, but I would try it with a sous vide just for the, just to see. Yeah. The uh, neighbor I had across the street before we moved to this house, and this was like two years ago, 
man, he made some killer smoked pork butt and a couple other things that you would normally do in a smoker. And they were amazing. There was one day he came over with, I think it was a pork butt and Nora was still a puppy. She was probably three or four months old and they poured out some of the excess liquid that was in the bag when they cut it open, just in the backyard. And she dug like a two foot hole where they spilled all that grease and juice because she was basically eating the dirt and the grass and just kept digging and digging. It took, we had to cover the hole up and put something really heavy on it to keep her out of it so that we wouldn't wind up with a hole to China. That's pretty good. I think that's about it for me. I am having some frustration with my home pods. Not really the home pods so much as, well, I guess the home pods too. The last day or two, Siri has just been taking forever to do anything on the home pods. Works fine on the watch, works fine on the phones. I ask it what time it is or turn on a light or something. Hold on, checking. It's taking too long. So what's going on with this? And I've noticed since 16.3 came out, a lot of my lights are a lot more unresponsive now. So I'm, my personal goal is to do a lot of digging on this. Maybe I have to change the Zigbee channel. Maybe I have to move my Philips Hue closer to where the lights are primarily. Maybe I need another Hue hub, one for downstairs, one for upstairs. I don't know, but this is, the frustration is killing me. And it's not, don't blame it on Siri, Jim. I know I can see you already doing it. I was going to just say, you know what works? I can go into the Hue app and it's not, it's showing not available. So it's not the personal assistant issue here. There is something else other than that at play. I don't think there's any sort of Wi-Fi issue. I'm not having any issues with any other device, any other time ever. It's just is the it a lights matter primarily thing? more is than because anything. because the new HomePods have matter and those lights might actually be enabled? I don't have matter on any of my HomePods except the HomePod minis. Now I do have two or three HomePod minis, but I don't think that's coming into play here. I just, I don't understand why even from the Hue app that I have the same problem of a light will show as not responding. And it's what you're talking about. Like the Hue hub is on Ethernet. So I know it's not a networking issue. I know that there, it does the radio stuff over Z-Wave or Zigbee or whatever the channel is, but I wouldn't think that would be a problem. I don't know. I got to dig further into this, but it's only really that. I don't really have a problem with the garage door or any of my Bluetooth enabled locks or any of those types of things. Those are all very consistent on working no matter what. So it's not like a, it's not a home kit Siri thing. There's something going on with those Hue lights. And I've seen, if you go digging on Reddit and some of those other places, people complaining about it and they both had it the same issues with Google Home. They've had it with Alexa. It just, it's something that's going on that's independent of the assistant that you're using it. And the only way that I've seen some of these folks fix it is to delete them all and then re-add them and then it works fine for a long time. I have no idea what the problem is, but I am going to change one variable at a time and do a lot of digging until I, I make these a little bit more reliable because there should be no reason that they're not able to talk. I have my Wi-Fi APs all over the place. So there's no, there's never a, a problem with that. I don't think there's any sort of, I don't think it's a 2.4 gigahertz thing. They're on a completely different bandwidth with the Zigbee stuff. I'm, I'm pretty sure. So I'll dig into it. Speaking of deleting all your lights. I just went into the realm of Homebridge this past week and I was fiddling around with something and I deleted the wrong bridge and then all of my lights disappeared out of home. Oh no. Oh, thankfully they were all easily put back, 
just because all the lights were just hooked hue, the hue back up and just reorganize the lights into their appropriate rooms. And that's easy to do just because you flash the light. But man, I felt so stupid. If you buy the app controller for HomeKit on iOS or Mac, you can actually do backups of your entire HomeKit configuration. The API allows it. It's just Apple doesn't provide anything for it by default. Why would they? But you, yeah, exactly. But you can, you can absolutely do that and restore configurations and whatnot if that bites you in the future. Oh, I did get a humidifier too that also works with HomeBridge, but I am going through distilled water like nobody's business. So I've got to, I slowed down a little bit on that and until I can stop constant notifications from the humidifier out of water, out of water. See, that's when you just, you take the humidifier and you set it up with Zapier and your Amazon account that when it gets down to a certain amount, it goes to Amazon, orders you the distilled water. And since you're in a metro area, it'll be delivered to your house same day. Problem solved. That is true. Except with my wife working in retail, I should be able to use her discount to get a better deal. I could save 10 cents on something and already cost 80 cents or something. And I'll, she'll be like, why are you buying it through there? I can get it for that much cheaper. If that Atlanta so. tap water is good enough for my Coca-Cola, it's good enough for your humidifier. <laughs> I don't use tap water for anything, my friend. I, for the CPAP, for the humidifier, it's distilled. I try to make this stuff last as long as possible. So I always follow the manufacturer instructions. I don't want to put anything in there that's going to screw this thing up. I think that's all I have. You guys have anything else you want to chat about before we go? I've got one real quick thing. This could be one of the best things I've ever done with my iPhone. So the new wallpapers, the new lock screen wallpaper, you can set up custom things. So one of the options lets you shuffle photos from your library and you pick what you want to shuffle. And so there's an option in there for you to pick your pets. And so I've got hundreds of pictures of my two dogs who I had for 15 years each that passed away a number of years ago. And then an old cat that I had and my dog now that I take a ton of pictures of and cats. It's easily just, it's, I have it set to shuffle every hour. It changes my wallpaper on the phone during the day and you get old pictures that you may not have seen. And it is so amazing how good it is at picking photos that are good for a wallpaper. It doesn't just pick a random pet photo. It finds the ones that it can center and put your animal on the screen and look good. It, it, yeah, That's very- it knows which, like if I had a picture of my dog, like running way across the yard, it would never pick that one. And so it's just, I can't say enough how awesome that is and so easy to do. Literally customize a wallpaper. You say, I want a photo one. It lets you pick pets and you click go. I've got the weather and I've got Apple weather and Apple news in the little section there and boom, it's just, and then I get a new picture of like of my dogs a couple of, couple of times a day. I look at it and I've got, I see the old dogs or my current dog. And it's just really amazing. And if you've got kids and you want to see them, go ahead. Put them on there, too. But pets are better. There you go. That's my tip for today. Right on cue, Brad's getting kisses from his poodle. Like, right there. Yeah. So, go check it out. Sweet baby. super easy to do. And I can't tell you how happy it makes me throughout the day to see different photos fly by there. That it's doing those sort of selfie quality photos versus just showing one, then two, then three, then four, all in succession until it rotates back to number one. Thanks, Apple. 
And I was just going to throw in there that Jason couldn't be with us tonight, but he did want to remind everybody that the Apple Watch Ultra is trash, that he did give it a chance and it's trash. So we'll save that one for the next episode. All right. So I guess that's a show for this week. Until next time. Later, everybody. Later, fellas. Sorry. Later, Later, fellas. fellas. Later, fellas. Please visit InfiniteLoopBack.com for show notes and previous episodes. Follow us on Twitter. We're at InfinLoopBack. That's at I-N-F-I-N Loopback. I'm Brian B. That's at B-R-I-A-N-B. Jim is at Big Jim. That's at B-I-G-J-I-M. Jason is at J-S-N-Y-N-G. That's at J-S-N-Y-N-G. And Brad is at Meester Idol. That's at M-E-E-S-T-E-R-I-D-L-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.